in my life, opportunities have opened more because of people I know or impressions I've made. And being able to form those impressions is really important. So I think it's putting myself in those positions to just try to meet new people, meet people that are inspiring and and you can learn from. There's a lot of people that I work with regularly that are all great and inspiring people, but some of those light bulb moments have actually come from engaging with people that come from totally different backgrounds or totally different industries or have totally different perspectives. Welcome to the Big Career Small Children podcast. I'm Ferina Hefti, and I believe that absolutely no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, amazing people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to gender inequality and the same stale, often male, middle-class people leading our organizations. I want us to change this together. In fact, I hope that many of you listening to this podcast right now will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus, which is all about supporting parents to get to senior leadership roles through equal career progression. Today, I'm talking to Drake Peabody, who is alumni of the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program, about how to network to support your career development and how to do that in an environment that doesn't just feel authentic. Enjoy the conversation. A very warm welcome, Drake, to the podcast. It is really nice to have a chance to spend some time with you at just chatting. So why don't we start with you saying hello, introducing yourself, what you do for work and who's in your family. Sure. Thanks, Verena. And it's a pleasure to be here. So my name is Drake. I work in finance. So I'm currently the director of Group FPNA at a company called IHS Towers, which is an emerging markets telecom company. So in layman terms, the company owns cell phone towers and an independent fiber network focused on the emerging markets. I'm based here in London. I've been here for just over five years with my wife, and we have a son, Magan, who is two and a half years old. And we're here by ourselves. All of our family is still both in the States from both sides, but we love London and hopefully we'll call this home in the long term. Mm, very nice. And I keep seeing photos that every now and then you send these newsletters because you've been on the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program and that we know each other. And he's very, very cute. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I might be slightly biased because my son is pretty much the same age. But yeah, he's very cute. So I'm going to ask you a question which I ask of every podcast guest, which is what did you used to believe about combining a big career with young children? that you've thrown out of the window, you don't believe anymore? I didn't really think about it beforehand, to be honest. I mean, growing up, my mother worked from home most of the time. So she had a job where she was actually able to work from home. And my father was a small business owner. So it wasn't something that I really appreciated or understood. But I think now actually being in it, I have a much better appreciation for the importance of flexibility and the importance of Really, I think good people are going to perform regardless if they have a child or caring responsibilities, whether it's for elderly parents or a partner or another family member. They always find a way to execute, but they may just need a bit more flexibility. So I think what's really stood out to me is the importance of allowing people the flexibility they need to be successful 
and good people always find a way to be successful, regardless of what's going on in their home life. Hmm. And obviously, your organization is quite forward thinking, but generally, finance is not the most flexible area. I think I might you might challenge me on this, but can you just tell us how does your week look like? How do you bring a flexible spirit into your day to day working life? No one week looks the same for me because things are so dynamic. So what I try to do personally is I try to take time in the morning to spend time with Kara and Magan. And then because the recognition is, is most nights I can't get home in a reasonable time before it gets to bed. So that's kind of what I worked in. But also I try with my team and my colleagues, if they have something different that works well for them, be encouraging of that. And as long as the work is getting done and things are being done to a high standard, really focusing the emphasis on that's what's so important. It's not where you physically are, when you work. If there's certain things that require presence in a certain physical location or require certain hours to be worked, obviously the expectation is that will be done. But I try to approach things rather than managing every day like that, managing those times as the exceptions when they're needed and then all the times in between giving people the flexibility. Interesting. I find it sometimes really interesting to deal with people's innate expectations because even when you try to be a manager who is really flexible and people know you have children and you might come into the office later than others, um, it's really hard to make people feel that it is okay to do what they need to do. What has worked for you in that regard to make people feel like, yeah, okay, I can be flexible? It's two things, right? One I think is important to recognize everybody comes with their own perspective or bias that's built on their experience that they've had. And no matter how much you try as a manager, you may be able to help move people away from that. But everybody's perception is different, whether they're raised in different countries or different cultures, whatever it may be, that creates a difference. So I think recognizing that that's there and there's not because of that, there's not just one simple conversation that can be had and all of a sudden things change. So I think while recognizing that, it's just about really living in the values that are there and just demonstrating it through behavior. And that behavior will take months and months and potentially years to build up that trust that's really two-way. And I think it's a two-way street because I think the manager needs to create that safe space where somebody feels comfortable taking advantage of that flexibility, but also the person like me, myself, What I try to do is I always try to make sure that my boss or my colleagues around me that I'm working with have a high degree of confidence in me that if I'm not at my desk, something will still get delivered or I'll find a way to make it get done. And I think that confidence is so important as well to make it a two-way street to help overcome that barriers if certain managers have those expectations. I've been really fortunate in my career where I haven't had many managers that have been overly strict about where I am physically or what specific hours I work. So I think I've been really fortunate in that sense. And I think because I've had such fortunate experiences there, I try to give that back and play it forward to others. And it is really important to make sure that you are still visible. And you're seen as well. You got promoted internally, which is really awesome. And congratulations, Thank you. belated Thank again. You. 
how do you make sure that you are seen and the results of your work is seen if you're not physically there all the time? I think it's just building a good reputation of doing what needs to be done to a high standard repeatedly, being outgoing and having a positive attitude and being open and welcoming to take on new challenges or step up to help people. There's a lot of different things depending on where in an organization you sit, depending on the type of people where in the organization they are, how senior they are, the type of opportunities that may come across your desk. And everything requires some bit of luck. But I think it's those basic things that I just mentioned that help more opportunities potentially come your way and give you more opportunities to showcase and build that strong reputation. I think the other thing that's really important is where there are opportunities to have informal conversations with people or spend that little bit of extra time getting to know people, regardless if they're more senior, more junior, or appear to you, is really important too. Because I think fundamentally as humans, Everybody likes to work with people you naturally like to be around. It's our, it's our nature as humans. So being able to form those lasting relationships that are genuine makes a huge difference as well. I think also just for the enjoyment of life, like you say, this podcast is not called the Enjoyment of Life podcast, but I really think it is also important just to do things that make you feel happy and knowing who you're working with is part of that. So you strike me as someone who now is very, very good at networking. I think even when you are sitting behind your desk at home, you are able to make new connections. I've seen you several times, how you've reached out to people and learned new stuff. Have you always found it easy? Is, are you a natural extrovert or is it something that you've learned along the way? I think a bit of both. I naturally gravitate to being around people. I want to my natural bias would be to constantly network. But I think what I found is... In my life, opportunities have opened more because of people I know or impressions I've made. And being able to form those impressions is really important. So I think it's putting myself in those positions to just try to meet new people, meet people that are inspiring and, and you can learn from. Because I think like in my profession, there's a lot of people that I work with regularly that are all great and inspiring people. But some of those light bulb moments have actually come from engaging with people that come from totally different backgrounds or totally different industries or have totally different perspectives. So I think what's evolved in my thinking is, is not looking at networking just as within the sphere of people I work directly with or one thing removed, but also people more broadly in different industries and different backgrounds, because it's that difference of perspective or thought that I can actually bring back to what I'm doing day to day and have come up with outside-the-box ideas or thoughts to make a bigger impact. And can you give an example of an idea that has emerged in the result of a network, in, ideally an idea that people who are not finance experts understand? So I try to do a lot with diversity and inclusion. And just through a conversation I was having with, through an introduction of someone, I won't mention names, they brought up this idea of the impact that can be had through just having small discussions over a meal and kind of the ideas that can genuinely come out of that. So rather than doing diversity events that are huge town halls, a lot of good things can come grassroots, but it, that safe space is really important. So 
we took that idea and, and at work here in London, myself and a few other colleagues launched these roundtable discussions where we had six people. We got lunch put brought in. We had a diversity of functions, equal gender. We tried to get as much as we could in the sessions and different levels of seniority. And just ask people to have a conversation to let things organically come up. And after doing four of those discussions, we actually made recommendations to our executive team around some different things that could be done to make our workplace continuously grow more inclusive, which were really well received. Some of them were quick wins, some of them were more complex things. But that's just like a small example of had I not been having an informal conversation with somebody that I don't work with on a regular basis, that idea may not have been generated. And it actually yielded some really rich results, which was great. And the people in the office, you know, we were returning from COVID. It actually helped people organizationally feel more engaged as well, which is another real positive of the experience. Great. And you got lunch. Yes. Free <laughs> food is always a good way to get people in. <laughs> Absolutely. So coming back to networking, because it's such a buzzword and everyone knows they should be doing it. Is there anything that you've learned or that you do now in your networking practice that you used to not do 10 years ago or so? I think there's two key things that stick out. One is being very clear on the purpose of what you're networking for, or what you're trying to achieve, and not being afraid to say that. So if you're just trying to network to meet people that share a similar view and you're just looking for different perspectives, I think that's a great thing to ask, but being upfront. Because I think when you're able to do that and articulate the purpose of networking, people are able to help you more and you get a bigger return on the conversations. And the second thing, which again, it came through like a random conversation I had with a random person at a party we were at, but it's in every networking conversation, ask the person you're speaking with if they can introduce you to between three and five people they may know to help. And even if they're not able to introduce you to three, and it's only two, it can help your network and your connections dramatically grow through connections of connections. And then I think through that is when it's a very unknown space. You don't know what will come up or what will yield out of it, but it's that passion to venture into the unknown that I think makes a big difference. Okay. And so that sounds great. And obviously I'm for it. As you know, however, let's picture someone who is listening, who really doesn't like asking for things, really doesn't like speaking to people that they don't know. Can you give an example of how networking helped your career, if you can think of one, or how it's just made a positive impact more generally to motivate that person who is listening to you and thinking, is this really worth it? So I think one of the things I did early on in my career at my previous company, it was internal networking, but it was a really impactful piece of advice, is I had just started my career out of university. It was the first time in the corporate world, kind of a bit of a deer in a headlights, very energetic, hardworking, but you know, didn't know the navigation of the political dynamics and the importance of those connections. And what a colleague said is, just set up informational interviews with people internally as a first step. So I reached out to all the direct reports of the group CFO at the company I was working at to have informational interviews. And I presented it as 
just like to learn a bit more about your background, what your career path was, and then what you value to differentiate someone that's exceptional from someone that's just good. To get a bit more perspective into different individuals of what they really value in people and in an organization. And the reason I use that and encourage people that are listening to do that as a first step, because it is internal and it's a very welcoming way to actually break the ice where you're just asking people that are in pretty senior positions just to talk about themselves, share their experience and share their perspectives. And through that, the perspective I got from that so early in my career just opened my mind of like the small things that wasn't all about the technical skills. It was about the soft skills. And then as I went on through my career, as different opportunities came up, because I made those introductions and had some of those informal conversations and broke the ice, that helped open other doors down the line for internal promotions and things like that. And at the end of the day, the worst thing somebody's going to say to you is no, and you're still in the same spot you were before you asked. That's really good to hear. And I completely agree. You know, sometimes people don't want to network because they're worried about authenticity or it being a transactional thing. But actually, what you did in that situation is you just went there in order to learn and to understand. And that's a really nice thing. Everybody likes to be asked for their expertise and for their advice, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think what worked well about it is I was doing a lot more listening than I was talking. And my only ask was just to learn somebody else's perspective. Mm. And I think I probably had maybe 10 different conversations in that specific instance. And naturally, there were some relationships that you just naturally gravitated towards more as you met the people. Not all 10 were fantastic connections. Not that they were bad, but there wasn't that natural spark. But you don't need them all to be. And those few that were, again, just were more lasting relationships over the longer term. So I think it's also keeping in mind that perspective of every conversation or every networking you have doesn't need to be this huge success. It doesn't need to be that one moment that changes the trajectory of your life or your career. There's many conversations to have, and you only need a few of them to really take off in that deep connection way. You recently took your, or you were playing an instrumental role in taking your company public, which I understand means it's being traded on the stock market, right? Yes. It's publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. So it's quite a big thing for those people listening who are not finance. I can see you nod and sigh. Yes. And I remember at the time, I think you mentioned quite a few times how incredibly busy it was. It sounds to me, I'm imagining it being extremely technical, extremely complicated, quite legal as well. In such a field, does networking play any role or is it just a case of getting your head down and delivering whatever needs to be delivered to get it done? I think it's both, right? So for me, it was the first time going through that experience. So there was a lot to be learned on the job. And during that process, there were instances where I reached out to other people, one or two people that I knew had gone through a similar thing, just to ask their perspective along the way, not of the specifics of the deal and the transaction we were working on, but just kind of their experience of, hey, there's a ton of work going on for this special project, but we also have our day-to-day deliverables. How do you manage that? 
And it was just sometimes hearing that perspective of somebody that's been through it that's a bit reassuring when you're kind of in an unfamiliar space or a new space. And then I think coming back to those relationships that we built, because it was a special project, and like I said, everybody had their day jobs on top of it, when everybody's working extremely hard and has a, a lot on their plate, working very long hours, and sometimes it's those relationships that help get your request to the top of the list and get it done more quickly. So I think there's not a direct thing you can point to specifically, but it's just through those types of things that helped kind of make small things a bit more easy at times, but also playing that forward to people, right? Like recognizing for me, I was super busy working extremely long hours, had a new baby at home in the middle of COVID. It was a very challenging time, right? A lot of new things going on both at work and at home but always being very willing to help others out. So when other people ask me, and that's why I talk about the two-way street, is going that little bit extra. And even if it took me an extra 15 or 30 minutes a day to help somebody else out, going that extra bit as well, because recognizing it's we're all here as a team and we're all working towards the same thing. That's true. I don't know why I'm thinking so much about well-being today, but also I remember reading somewhere, don't ask me where, that there is increasing research that helping others makes you happy. And for me, that's so true. And I'm sure the public offering on the stock market probably was a really challenging time, but I imagine it being a nice atmosphere if you have a culture of helping each other. Yeah, and I think at the end, when it's successfully listed, it was great to celebrate that big event with people that you work side by side with for so long and so hard with. When the company went public, members of the executive team and a select few members of our business went to the New York Stock Exchange to ring the opening bell. There's a limited number of people that you can have to do that. So there is a large number of people here in London. We had it up in the boardroom on the television with everyone and had a bit of a, a festive celebration to welcome you know, such a huge milestone because at the time it was the largest ever African-based company to list in the U.S. So not only was it the company listing, but it was also a unique milestone from that perspective, which was really fantastic to celebrate and be part of. Yeah, well, I've only ever seen it in films and I'm very glad that you you have confirmed that this actually happens in real life. Yes. <laughs> but tell me, you mentioned very long hours and I completely believe you again because it was such a massive project. But I also know that you are an incredibly involved father. How practically did you make it work? Did you just accept that you wouldn't see him for a while? Or how did you make it work? I just kind of went for it. I didn't really overthink it or try to overly plan the days. I mean, Kara and I, we had conversations. She was super supportive throughout it, which I think makes a huge difference. Um, and like I said, I tried to spend the mornings together with the family and then recognize, you know, if I had to work till two, three, four a.m., that's what I'd have to do. But try to get those few hours in, in the morning and then as much as possible on the weekends as well. But I found if I tried to like manage it or like put things in specific boxes, it would be a bit difficult because things were so demanding. So I think it was really the partnership with Kara at home that, and having her support throughout the process 
again, having those open conversations with my colleagues when there were very few times, but when they did come up where I did need the flexibility, just being open about it, but having the reputation and the trust of other people that I would deliver, even if I needed to step out for a little bit, I think made a huge difference. And then, yeah, when there were just opportunities, trying to maximize them when they could, but just really taking it each day at a time and recognizing that I don't think there's any real perfect recipe or perfect balance. I think regardless if it's a big thing at work or a big thing personally, things will always come up. So you just try to take each day as it comes and do the best you can because there is no perfect way to go about it. You've spoken on quite a few of our events previously. We roped you and Cara in because you, funnily enough, you both did the fellowship program. And I know that there's quite a bit of back and forth in that you are also repaying the favor um, when she has a busy, a very busy time at work. But obviously you're not yet middle-aged, I would say. But I imagine, I don't know how much energy you have. I know I don't anymore have the energy of my teenage years where I could pull all nighters and then be ready and bright and early at eight o'clock in the morning. Did you manage your energy or did you just go with lots of coffee and pull through? Well, funny enough, I never drank coffee until I had a child and now I drink (laughs) two to three cups a day. So I don't think that was just busy work. I think it was also the, the realities of having a child that made that transition. I think also staying like physically active at least a couple of times a week makes a big difference just to keep the body and the mind healthy. Like in trying to eat healthy, I can't say that I'm always great at that, but doing that I think just helps keep those levels up. So every day is not easy. Some days are difficult. I mean, if your child goes through two or three days with sleepless nights, it catches up, right? And that's inevitable. But I think it's, again, just recognizing that not every day will be a perfect day, but at the same time, too, just having a positive attitude and recognizing it's just a point in time. It's not indefinite helped. Yeah, I agree with you, Verena. I'm not as energetic as I was at 18, but I think just by also having that kind of mindset of can do it and not getting overwhelmed by the work that's there to be done or the commitments that are there, but just do it. And then when you get so tired, you take the rest you need, I think is my real approach to it. Mm. It sounds like you're a real executor. Try to be. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I'm the same. My team and I did the strengths finder test recently. It was really illuminating. I have to control myself sometimes from jumping in and doing all the execution, but yeah, it gives you a lot of energy, doesn't it? When you just get on with stuff, it's a good feeling, I think. Indeed. And just talking about sleep some more, obviously at the time, Megan was, was he a baby? Yeah, he was a baby. So also would have not slept very well, unless you were very lucky, in which case, please don't tell us about it because we'll all feel jealous. So how did you practically deal with that? Did you just take turns or just you slept in a different room while Cara looked after the baby during those very intensive months at work? Or what, what was your approach to that? I think it was just pragmatic. So if there were certain nights or periods where I had had long stretches of being super busy at work, Kara would take a bit more of that evening burden. But if there were times likewise where she ramped up at work or was super busy or maybe had a few nights, I would take more of the burden. So we approach things 
in a more fluid way. And that's what works for us. But I think it's important to also highlight that each couple or each home situation will have a very different path that might work well for them. So we don't necessarily view things of these specific feedings are always me, these specific feedings are always her, or, or if he wakes up these days, it's my responsibility and these days it's hers. It's more of just what's happening more broadly in our lives and who's more fit. So like last night he woke up twice just quickly, but I got up and helped sort him out and get him settled because it was just what made sense at the time. So yeah, we just kind of take that approach. But like if I have to work till 2 a.m. or have an event that goes super late and then he wakes up in the evening, Kara might get up and settle him down. I mean, luckily, I think we're largely past that stage. Although when he was teething the other week, it, it was quite difficult. So yeah, but it's, it's really just that fluidity and just helping support each other as and when. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear. And it's such a reminder that everybody will have such a different approach. Your description would be my worst nightmare. <laughs> I need to have a very clear, this is my, I'm on char, in charge right now or I'm off duty. Otherwise I can't operate. And I think that's exactly it. You cannot find a solution that works for everyone, but you need to be confident enough to make it work for you. Yeah. And I think communication is key within a household to talk through what works well for people. Because to your point, you and I may have very different approaches. It's not to say one works better than the other, but one fits our respective lifestyles better. And I think that's what's so critical and important to recognize. And I think those dynamics will also change over time. Like as an example, when he was coming on to one year old, like I got COVID. Whatever things were in place before that had to be changed because of that. And then Kara got it and we're like, okay, well, this is inevitable. We need to just carry on. But if somebody falls ill or it can be any number of things. And I think the dynamics will always change. That communication at home is really key because dynamics will always continue to evolve over the years. That's very true. I want to come back briefly to talk about work and sponsorship specifically. And we should probably say a sponsor is someone who opens doors for you, advocates for you behind closed doors and so on. And I loosely remember you telling me and I might have made this up that you did have a sponsor at some point that made an impact on your career. Is that correct? Yes. And if so, what happened? What did they do? What did you do to make it happen? So I think fundamentally, I view sponsorship as and where it makes the biggest difference. There's somebody gives you opportunities that you may not have the full experience of done previously, but they trust in your ability to figure it out and be successful. And I think where I've had those sponsorship moments have really come from my ability to always be willing to take on more and help people out. So put myself in those opportunities to demonstrate that I can do things that may not be in the exact confines of a traditional job description to help build that confidence in people around me that yeah, when something isn't well-defined, he can step into it and will find a way to be successful in it. And I think the other key of it is, is it's having sponsors that are in positions of influence enough where they can make those big changes for you. 
And I think at times it's not always your direct manager that may be that. It may be people in the broader peripheral that give you those opportunities or help sponsor you in those. And I think that's what goes back to what we were talking about earlier on networking and those informal conversations to break the ice can just only help cultivate that environment and maybe present those opportunities at a higher percentage than otherwise would be. And are you willing to share a specific impact? If you don't, I know it's very personal, so you can, we can just edit it out. But I am personally curious what the impact was on your career. So there was one pivotal moment that happened. I'll describe where I previously worked. And I was set to go abroad for an expat assignment in Singapore. And everything was set in motion. The contracts were signed. Everything was there. And I think it was the week before I was meant to leave to fly to Singapore and move from Miami. The CFO called me in and said, hey, I need to let you know that there's a strategic move to relocate the headquarters from Singapore to Dubai. The opportunity you've signed up for is still there for you, but it will have to be based in Dubai. And given the time frame, and you're about to move to Singapore in the next week or so, you need to know an answer pretty quickly of what you'd like to do. If you choose not to do it, that's fine. There will still be a role for you, etc. So I stepped back and I thought about it that evening. I spoke it over with Kara and I actually went back to him with a different proposal because the person I was backfilling or taking the role of was moving back to the US. And there was another role there that was vacant that they were hiring for. So I went back with a proposal to the CFO to say, I'll do the role I was meant to do. I'll also do this other role in the interim and stabilize things as you go through the transition of moving something from Singapore to Dubai. So I recognized that my expat contract that was supposed to be about two and a half to three years would be cut shorter, but I'd still be able to go get the experience of living in Singapore, experiencing all the cultures in Asia. But I was also going to take on even more work and do the two roles in one to help make that happen. And the reason I talk about that specific example is because the CFO at the time actually sponsored that and say, actually, yeah, we can make that work. So I think it was a situation where I had a sponsor who was still willing to support an international move, but the broader dynamics changed. But then when I actually came back with a different proposal, that was also solution-oriented based on the dynamics that were there. He, in his capacity, was able to sponsor that and say, even though this is happening, it still makes sense for this person to go over to Singapore, get that experience, and it was really a win-win. And did I have the exact experience to do the other role? It was a system implementation role. It wasn't my core experience, but again, because I had the working relationship and demonstrated my ability to do well, he was able to sponsor and support me actually doing that role that was a bit out of what what I had historically done. And fortunately, I was able to be very successful in, in both of the roles. And it was a incredible life experience, both professionally and personally from a developmental perspective. So I think that's just a specific example that kind of illustrates that sponsorship. Great. Thank you for sharing so openly. Did you enjoy Singapore? Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. Fortunately, had a, a good friend that was living there and 
It was very different from anything I'd experienced before. We had the opportunity to travel as well throughout the region, which was fantastic. So yeah, I'd highly recommend the experience to anyone that gets the opportunity. So you mentioned quite a few times that you were working longer for opportunities. How do you square that? Because some people are single parents, are very ambitious, want to do their best, but actually might not have a partner who can support them. Or maybe at some point you and your partner will have to peak at the same time, the peak workload. I guess, have you ever said no to extra work? And if yes, how did you square that with still being seen as committed, hardworking, etc.? I don't think I've actually been in a situation where I've had to say no to things. I think, and that is because Karis was supportive and, and vice versa. We made the decision together to get full-time support and help here with a nanny to support us so that we can both have our careers. I mean, like as an example, last night I had to leave work at 6.15 because Kara had an engagement in the evening that she had to be there. So to cut things short and then log back on later after I put Mag into bed. But I still kind of found a way to push through and make it happen. I think though, just taking a step back is when those situations or when they will inevitably arise, we're just going to have to take it as it comes and recognize there's certain factors that we can't move or negotiate around. And then it's how do we just try to be the most successful as we can in this situation. Oh, thank you for sharing. And I think we must do a podcast with Cara as well, because I, I know that she and you, well, you, you both were brilliant on our panel together. So we should do a follow-up one about how you make things work between the two of you. So we're coming towards the end of this conversation, sadly. And I would like us to finish with, so if someone has listened to you talking about networking and activating your networks in the service of promotion, maybe they want to get promoted, perhaps internally, but they're not really a natural networker. What would two or three very small five-minute practical things could be that they could do this week to try to dip their toes into networking for promotion? So I think the biggest thing is recognize that it will be a relatively long journey. When you have a conversation today, it's highly unlikely that in a month's time, it will yield a promotion things typically take a bit longer to work through. So just have that in your mindset of don't look at the promotion in the next two months, but the next nine to 12 months and setting the groundwork for that, just to manage your expectations and time horizons appropriately. I think the second thing would just be to come up with a list of people that are senior in your organization, both inside your function and outside your function, make a list of five or 10, 15 people, and then just come up with a basic framework to create introductory emails to send out, to request time to have an informational interview with them, really just to learn more about their career journey, if they've had any pivotal moments or they have any advice and what they really think separates exceptional from just good. And then I think once you have that perspective, you can take that in and see if there's anything you can do differently or you can improve on to give yourself the best opportunity to do that. And then I think the third thing would be is be open with your manager and your manager's manager of what your ambitions are and try to have an open and honest conversation of 
what the path may look like and what things are that you could be involved with to help better your probability of getting those promotions. And a promotion doesn't always need to be a step up in title and pay. It can also be a lateral move or an opportunity where you're getting exposure to do something that may not be in your core comfort zone. Because I think it's those things that once you're able to demonstrate your ability to do those, improve your probability of being promoted in the long term as well. Absolutely. Very helpful tips. And if people want to find out more about you, about your work, is there somewhere where they can read out about the story of the stock market going public? Should they be so inclined? Or (laughs) is LinkedIn the best place to connect with you? Yeah. So for me personally, it's LinkedIn. And if anybody wants to learn more about IHS Towers, I'd encourage them to look at our website. The investor section has a lot of good material that gives an overview of our company, what we do, the markets we operate in. So I'd encourage people to look at that as well. I'm happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn or have a conversation with anybody that'd like to discuss anything further. Great. Thank you very much, Drake. Really lovely talking to you again. Thanks, Verena. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And thank you especially to everyone who's connected recently with me on LinkedIn. It's been so surprising how many of you have reached out and I really, really love getting your messages and I always accept your connection requests. And I love all your suggestions on where to take the show next. It's obviously a really hard work thing. It might not sound like it, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes to put out the podcast. And hearing that makes a difference to real life people is just really, really lovely. So thank you for that. If you've liked the podcast and if you like those themes we talk about and you actually want to connect with some real life people around them, then you should definitely consider applying to the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme, which is a high impact programme supporting you to progress your career with little ones in tow. There is one programme left starting in 2023. Applications for that one close on the 31st of October 2023 and the details are on the website leadersplus.org.uk. You can also find info on some of our free events on there. And we always do have hardship fund spaces available. On the fellowship, you get access to really inspirational role models who have been there, done that, with bringing up kids whilst progressing your career. You get support with practical challenges, for example, workload management or saying no. You'll get really important time for yourself to think about what you want in your career, what you want for your family and how to make it happen together with a group of very, very supportive and very amazing peers and some very experienced facilitators as well. So if you want to look at it, then leaderspass.org.uk is the place to go. In our last cohort, more than half have got promoted or got additional senior responsibility by the end of the programme. And they're all involved in some shape or form in driving change for working parents. And I should say the satisfaction with work-life balance have gone up significantly as well. I think it's more than doubled compared to the starting point of the programme. So I'm really pleased with that. Big thank you for all your support and especially also to all of those who've left reviews for the podcast. It is such a helpful thing and I'm extremely grateful for all of you who've done that or who've shared this episode with a friend that could benefit from it. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your week.